all windows and doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, let, let, me, let me be a voice of positivity to at least start off the program. I know... It was a bad weekend in southeastern Wisconsin, lots and lots of snow, and then you know a stretch of brutal cold coming on. But if you look at the long-term forecast, it's supposed to be you know back up into the 30s by next weekend, so that's a good sign. But but here's the other good sign, especially if you are not a fan of winter. The the temperatures. This has not been a bad winter in Wisconsin, and you knew you were going to get this at some point in time. Well, okay, it came over the weekend, but today is January 30th, right? So essentially, people in Wisconsin were were finished with January. February is a short month, and then you've got March. And I understand that you can get some really, you can get a, a stretch of cold weather in February and lots of snow. And I understand that you get snow and cold in March. And believe me, I understand you can get snow and cold in April as well. But the truth is, the daylight hours are increasing. We're getting closer to spring every day. January is almost behind us, so there is hope. So don't get too discouraged at some of these forecasts and stuff over the next couple days. Weird story over the news. Now, I, if you grew up watching like reruns from the 60s or you're old enough to remember these shows when they aired, The Addams Family which was a show that aired on AM on uh, ABC back in the 60s. It ran from 64 to, to 66. Lisa Loring, she played the, the character Wednesday, who was the, the daughter on, on the Adams family. And these, of course, are based on the, the characters created by Charles Adams. And they, they turned out to be, um, they, they were in several movies as well. But Lisa Loring played Wednesday Adams. And now there's a new show on cable called Wednesday that, focuses on Wednesday Adams kind of grown up and how she solves crimes and things like that. But Lisa Loring played the original Wendy Adams Wednesday Adams on the Adams Family TV show. She passed away over the weekend at the age of 64. Here's here's what's kind of weird about th- this. The guy who played her brother Pugsley his name was Ken Weatherwax. He died about six years ago at the age of 59. So she passes away at the age of 64. He passes away at the age of 59. The rest of the cast, Morticia Adams, in that original TV show, was played by Carolyn Jones. Um, she passed away in 1983 at the age of 53. Ted Cassidy, who played the character Lurch, uh, the butler, he passed away in 1979 at the age of 47. As a matter of fact, all the main cast members of the Adams family have passed away, many at very, very young ages, with the exception of John Aston, who played Gomez Adams, the, the leader of the family. He's still alive at the age of 90. But interestingly, none of those other major cast members, uh, Morticia, Carolyn Jones, she passed away at 53. Ted Cassidy, Lurch at 47. Uh, Pugsley, Ken Weatherwax, he passed away at 59. And now... Uh, Lisa Loring, who played Wednesday, passed away at 64. It's, it's, 
you know, I think it's kind of this weird thing that all of them passed away and that they passed away at such relatively young ages. Um, Just kind of an interesting fact. Also, over the weekend, if you are a college basketball fan, you, you there was a period of time where Billy Packer, who was one of the announcers, he worked for CBS, he worked for NBC. I mean, if it was a big game, Billy Packer was the broadcaster. And then there was the period of time where you had the late, great Al McGuire, Billy Packer, and Dick Enberg. They were this giant triumvirate. And if it was a big game, they were there. Billy Packer passed away at the age of 82 over the weekend as well. All right. Here is the story. And I, I posted a link to this on my Twitter account. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 And it, it's interesting because a lot of times when I post stuff over the weekend, it doesn't necessarily get a huge response. This one's got a huge response. And some of, some of the takes on this are extremely interesting to me. So here is the story as it appears on Fox 6 News. The Milwaukee Police Department, okay, downtown Milwaukee armed robberies, auto break-ins on the rise. The Milwaukee Police Department is warning the public of an increase in armed robberies and auto break-ins in the downtown entertainment areas. Police said the crimes happen primarily between 4 and 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. So in other words, 4 to 7 p.m. when people might be coming down and going to the bars for happy hour or something like that, and 7 and 11 p.m. to 2 a.m., which is where, okay, people might be attending an event downtown and decide that they're going to go out for a drink or something afterwards. Officials said the perpetrators are driving stolen Kias or Hyundais, more on that later in the show, and victims are targeted for their personal property while getting in or out of their vehicles. So this is talking about people getting out of their cars to go into the restaurant or getting into the cars, you know, after the sporting event or whatever, and they are being robbed. Wow. Milwaukee police recommend following these tips. Park in well-lit areas and in areas where cameras may be present. Okay. So in other words, there might be a camera. So when you get mugged, we can see who did it. Ensure distractions are minimal. Okay. All right. So they want you paying attention to your your surroundings, I guess. So when you see the the 17-year-old rushing up with you at, at the gun, I, with the gun, don't know what you do. Three, make sure there are no valuables within your vehicle. Okay. And if firearms are transported in your vehicle, ensure that they are safely stored in a lockbox. Um, okay. Channel 12 has a similar story. They say uh, Milwaukee police warn of a crime trend, armed robberies and car break-ins. They say individuals driving, driving stolen Kias or Hyundais are targeting drivers near the downtown entertainment areas. Wonderful. Um, again, they go through the same sort of thing. But the police advice is, well, okay, here, here's the deal. Park in a well-lit area. And be aware of your surroundings. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I sent out a tweet, which became, I guess, more controversial than I thought. So the police are saying, okay, we've got all these people that are roaming around downtown, the entertainment district, between 4 and 7 and 11 and 2 at night. 
and they're robbing people. They're breaking into cars. They're robbing people as they get into and out of the cars. And the police tip is park in a well-lit area. So presumably the criminals can see what they're doing. Park in an area, if you can, where there's cameras. Be aware of your surroundings. Okay. And don't leave valuables locked in your car. Okay. I I sent out a tweet. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a suggestion to cut down on the armed robberies and car thefts downtown. How about we flood the area with police, prosecute the bad guys, and put their criminal butts in, in jail? I guess I... I didn't see that as being overly controversial. And, and by the way, I don't I mean, I don't disagree with what the police are saying. I mean, the police are saying, hey, if you come to downtown Milwaukee, understand that there's all these car break ins that are going on and understand that there's all these people who are being robbed. So, you know, be aware of your surroundings. OK, that, that's not necessarily bad advice, but that doesn't deal with the problem. The problem is that you have a criminal element that is out on the streets that is running wild to the point that the police are now issuing warnings. And again, I'm, I'm not sure what is the warning say, don't leave valuables in your car. Okay, so when the criminal busts in the window of my car, they rifle through it and they don't find anything that they want. Fine, that doesn't change the fact that my car has been broken into. Be aware of your surroundings so you're getting out of the car, ladies. Okay, be aware that somebody might come up to you, hit you, and take your purse. Okay, well, that's not necessarily really constructive. On top of that, that's not something that inspires confidence in anybody wanting to drive downtown into the entertainment district and certainly park on the street or maybe even walk on the street. So I don't object to the advice that the police department is giving. It's kind of like... Don't leave your car running unattended in your driveway because it will be stolen. But if you want to have a thriving city, that's not the response we need. The response we need from the mayor, the head of the common council, and the police chief is we are not going to tolerate this. We are going to insist that this city in general, but the entertainment district in particular, is going to be safe. And we're going to do whatever we need to do to make sure that thugs and criminals and whatever running the streets aren't going to be able to walk up and down the road and smash in 21 windows and vandalize cars or you know, jump people as they're trying to get into and out of their car as they're going to have dinner before the Bucks game or before the theater or whatever. Our number, 855 that is the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, isn't that the response that we should be getting? A degree of outrage. And again, you, you, you can warn people, take these different precautions. But I think in the way my Twitter account was exploding, lots of people, their take was, well, it sounds like the police are saying that they cannot protect us. So why do we even want to consider going downtown? I'm not encouraging that at all, but I would like to hear a sense of urgency because it seems to me the response is we are should be we're going to take back the streets. We are not going to allow people to be afraid to come into a downtown area because they might be attacked or their car might be broken into. Isn't that the response that we should be getting? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line we discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. It, I will tell you, the city of Milwaukee has a real problem. If you've gotten to the point where the 
where the crime has now spread to the entertainment district. Now, we, we've had these stories before. You know, you had the shootings, you know, off of Water Street, you know, several months ago. I mean, last summer. And then you had the big press conferences and we were told, oh, we're going to crack down on this. and We're going to start issuing citations for curfew violations and we're going to go after the parents. And that none of that happened as a practical matter. None of that happened. Now you have the, the car break ins the vandalism, and apparently attacks and armed robberies on people in the downtown entertainment district from 4 to 7 or from 11 to 2. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you you want to kill an entertainment district, just, just let the word get out that, gee, if you park the car on your street, you better be aware of your surroundings because somebody might come up and attack you or rob you at gunpoint, or when you come back after the event, we you spoke might with find a few members of the family that were rent- and your car vandalized. I mean, that that that's the way to end up killing a, a city really quick. And my response is, and I, look, I don't mind the police saying be aware of your surroundings, but what the police should be saying is, we're gonna we're going after this. Cops are going to be all over the streets. We're going to prosecute the bad guys, and we're going to send them away. That's the only way you save that entertainment area from crime. Let's start with John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I'm glad you're back. We missed you. Um, My thing, are you there? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, we missed you guys, and I'm glad you're back on vacation. Now, my thing is this here. it's up to the police chief. I guess that's his job. Um, the the mayor, because if I was Pfizer, I would get together with all of the, the owners downtown, and we would just go into the into the mayor's office or the police chief and just have a meeting and say, "Look, we're not taking this no more. We, we, we're not going to we're not going to come to Brookfield and drive our cars down there to a basketball game." And, and you guys are not down there. Come on, man. You, the city can do better than that. Yeah, I no, I, I John, thanks a lot for the call. I, I agree, you know, with you. Um, I, I you, you have to, th- there needs to be this level of outrage that, that is out there. Jeff, you're absolutely right. The message tells me that law enforcement in Milwaukee has given up to the criminals. I no longer go there for dining and entertainment. I no longer feel safe. Jeff, are you sure you have your facts straight? I thought the mayor and our safety representative just had a big news conference bragging on how crime was down in our city. Right, well, that's the difference between, let's look at the objective numbers, and and yes, crime, while still at at unacceptably high numbers, it's better than it was two years ago, but it's still, forget two years ago, it would still be a record were it not for that. But yeah, what does that tell you when you've got the cops coming out and saying, all right, look, This is the problem. You come to that entertainment area and you are being targeted. Well, for lots of people who live in the suburbs, that's just a message to say, well, wait a second. I'm not going to bother doing that at all. Jeff, criminals hit the easiest targets. How about we add many more cameras and have the police do a sting operation and rid the streets of these criminals? I'm I'm. I'm good. Jeff, outrage does no good. I agree with the police tips. The police are doing their best. Okay, that's just giving in then. That's just defeatism. That's saying, okay, we cannot control the armed robberies and the break-ins. We have given up. It is too much. So, okay, just sort of like traveler beware. 
I, I don't disagree with the police uh, tips. Obviously, you know, you want to be in a situation where, okay, you, you reduce the possibility that you're going to be robbed, but does that mean you then can't park, can't park on the street in the entertainment district between 4 to 7 or between 11 and 2? Does that mean, okay, here we, we've gone to... The Bucks game gets out at 10 o'clock, got to rush back to my car and get it off the street. Um, but, of course, I can't get down there too early because then I'm going to be in that. Jeff, now it is my responsibility to make the city I visit safe. If I want to come and spend time and potentially money there, that doesn't make any sense at all. All. Jeff, we've talked about this ad nauseum, and the city keeps missing the point. Lock up the criminals and take them off the street. Jeff, I think the answer is to bring beat cops back. Well, yeah, I, I think I think that's true as well. Jeff, from experience with car theft and drug dealing, muggings in Milwaukee, the police will tell you that they don't take the time to look at available video evidence or investigate these crimes. So be aware that parking near Camlers is largely meaningless. If you call in a dump stolen car, they don't dust for prints either. So no wonder the criminals are running wild. The authorities do nothing. Well, part of the thing is the authorities are overwhelmed. Part of the other problem is, again, you get very, very little prosecution um, in the district attorney's office, and, and maybe the DA's office says, look, we're just so swamped with the murders and stuff, but at the same time, if you're the victim, you go downtown or you go to a game or you go to a theater show and you come back and your windows are busted in in your car and your car is vandalized, you are still nevertheless a victim, and if that happens, my guess is you're not coming back to the area. Jeff, that statement you read is kind of a statement of desperation and defeat to which the congregation says, you know, amen. Jeff, how about the police department do an undercover sting, send for undercover police officers, send them out as a group with backup nearby? Jeff, how about a peaceful protest with lots of signs and megaphones? Well, I think that um, I think that at some point in time, just like you have other groups that protest and protest in a peaceful fashion and bring about legitimate concerns i think there's a lot of people who where is that constituency where is the constituency where are the people that are protesting for the victims of crimes no question about this jeff i always take the bus to any events downtown i drive kia and do not feel comfortable leaving that down there my husband will drive us occasionally and we will only use a structure um well i think there is that element that's out there jeff i go downtown 20 times per year it won't take too much more for me to say i've had enough okay this this it's a crisis time and i understand i hear from a small percentage of people who say oh you know this is it just is what it is you you know you you can't this is part of the thing that comes with living in urban areas we've tried to arrest people before that doesn't work so let's just throw up our hands no you throw up your hands with stuff like this and you see all this great stuff that is going on in downtown and the message is it's going to fail because people aren't going to come downtown if they are running the risk of becoming a crime statistic. And when the police are out there saying, well, you know, just be careful because 4 to 7 and 11 to 2, well, it's kind of like the wild, wild west. That's not a Chamber of Commerce message. Yeah, police are doing their best, but criminals are back on the street almost before the police have finished their paperwork. I know you don't agree, but one step is to build a lot more prisons so the DA and judges have no excuse of overcrowding. I don't know who the texter is thinking of. I have no problem with building lots of prisons and 
hopefully trying to send a message that you can't be a career criminal, or at the very least, if that doesn't work, then at least protecting the rest of us. Jeff, um, we all we no longer go to Milwaukee. The crime risks are just not worth it. Jeff, I was a police officer for 30 years. I would not go into downtown Milwaukee unless I had to. The other issue is the aggressive way police would need to approach this, like the New York PD did Back in the day of the broken windows theory, many people wouldn't like to see the aggressive form of policing. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, this April, you will have a chance to vote on a constitutional amendment which will change the way bail is handled in the state of Wisconsin. And we've talked about this before. Right now, in deciding to set bail, judges have to consider and are only allowed to consider risk of flight. And, and and that's their determination. Now, obviously, somebody's prior record in, indirectly impacts risk of flight. I mean, if you are, I don't know, if you're a career criminal and this is your fifth or sixth time at the rodeo and you're charged with an offense, it makes it, and you know, chances are you're going to get a longer sentence when you are convicted. So it, it indirectly makes you more likely to run. But otherwise, judges aren't supposed to take that into account. Judges don't take into account prior record either, except as, opposed, as it applies to their the ability of somebody to, to show up. And, and that's always been crazy. In deciding whether or not somebody is eligible for pretrial release, the only way that makes sense is to look at two factors. First of all, are they a risk of flight? Will they show up? And secondly, are they a danger to the community? And this constitutional amendment, and it doesn't need Tony Evers to sign it, this constitutional amendment would allow courts to look at both. All right, risk of flight and dangerousness. Here's a classic example of why that is so appropriate. You remember the story from the middle of of January, and and it it got a lot of attention. January 16th, it was a Monday afternoon two weeks ago, and what happened is police get this call, North 17th Street, just north of Capitol Drive, Um, because what happens is apparently there's um, an off-duty Wauwatosa police officer who had seen a guy fire seven or eight shots in the area, get into a red Kia, and drive away. And they got a partial license plate of the guy. So the police arrive at the house. They speak to a woman who says she's at home with her child and her two grandchildren. The complaint, the criminal complaint, says the woman and the children were in the upper level of the residence when they heard um, gunshots. And this is the situation that was caught on that ring camera. And you've probably seen the video. There's a guy that goes up, sort of a heavy set guy, 46 years old, rings the doorbell, rings the doorbell. Nothing happens, starts to walk away, turns around and just starts shooting at the porch. The officer, when they come and they do the investigation, they located seven spent nine millimeter casings and spotted seven bullet strikes to the exterior of the home. Um, All seven shots penetrated the exterior walls of the home. Six went into a bedroom. One went into a living room, according to the criminal complaint. Um, it's just, it's just crazy. So three days later, they've got a description of the guy. They've got the ring camera thing. They end up making a traffic stop on a red Kia Sorento. It turns out to be this guy. They take him into custody. His name is Harold Garibolini, and um, he admits that he's the person firing the shots 
um, that's caught on the doorbell surveillance camera. What we don't know is what his motivation was. The woman who lives inside the home wants to stay anonymous because she fears for her safety. But, you know, we, we, we don't know exactly what it was that motivated this guy to do it. Um, other than the fact that he did. He fires you know, a number of rounds. He essentially empties the magazine into this house. And once again, it's, there for, it's just there but for the grace of God that there's not somebody that's dead. So, okay, here, here's, here's the dazzling detail of this. So they arrest him. They release him on bail. The bail that was set was $30,000. $30,000 bail, which he ended up posting. But here's the interesting factor with this. The man, wait for it, is a convicted felon. At least that's according to the, the charges that they, they issue. Um, they, one of the, some of the charges are you know fi- possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Okay, as a condition of his release, the judge says, okay, you're not allowed to have a gun. Okay, not allowed to have a gun as a condition of your release, or, or don't worry, you know, or you're going to be in trouble. Well, as I said, as I posted on my Twitter, if you want to see a link to this story, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Don't judges understand how dumb bail decisions like this make them look? So here you have a guy who is a convicted felon who's not allowed to have a gun in the first place, who shoots up a house with a gun. And as a condition of his bond, well, don't possess a firearm. Yeah, like, like, that's, like that's going to deter him. He's already a felon who's not supposed to have a gun. He ignores that prohibition. He's got a gun, and not only does he have a gun, but he empties the magazine you know, into this home. So we're going to release him on $30,000 bail, but we're going to tell him, don't you take a gun. Well, if the threat of going to prison for five years isn't enough to discourage the guy from, as a felon, not only carrying the gun, but also shooting it. E- explain to me what the, what putting that as a condition of the bail should be. If you change the rules, and that's, I think, what's going to happen with this constitutional amendment, you could look and you could say, look, I- I'm not just worried about are you going to show up. I am worried about are you going to continue to commit crimes? And what other terms of release can I structure that are going to make it likely that you are not going to be a danger to the community? And I would argue that the mere risk of losing $30,000 that he has posted, given the fact that he was willing to risk this in the first place, being a felon, and he still had a gun, my argument would be that $30,000, well, you know, who, who cares it's so he loses it, he loses it. You need to have the ability to put in other conditions that would make sure that when he gets out, and he's apparently out on bail now, he doesn't grab another gun and go do something else. You've got to be able to consider danger to the community as well in setting bail. That's why it is so, so very important to vote yes um, on this constitutional amendment when it comes on the ballot in April. But also, again, it, it raises the question of why do we even put these conditions in? I mean, it's almost like laughable. You're a felon. You're not allowed to possess a firearm. Here, we're going to turn you loose on bail, but now we really mean don't possess a firearm. Give me strength. One of our texters say, Jeff, the, the felon, in, the felon, 
who's not legally able to have a gun, who two weeks ago today shot up that house, it showed on the ring doorbell, who was arrested three days later, one of our texters says, what happened with the gun he used? Or does he still have access to it? And my response was, very good question. I, I don't know if they recovered that gun or, or not. But you don't have to worry because the judge or the court commissioner said, well, you're a felon. You're not legally allowed to possess it. And if you do while you're out on bail, you could be in trouble. As if, I don't know, the fact that he was looking at five years in prison for being a felon in possession of a gun, not to mention whatever happens when you fire that gun at a house, as if that wasn't enough to discourage him. All right, we, we talked a little bit about this on Friday, and I, I predicted it was going to happen. It is... In my opinion, the absolutely wrong response to a bad situation. So Friday evening, I, I, I spent some time. I watched the video of the Memphis police officers, the, the five that you know beat Tyree Nichols to death. Uh, it is appalling to watch the behavior of those police officers, in my opinion, was criminal. I was going to say it's unprofessional. It was unprofessional, but it, it, it's criminal, and they deserve to be brought to justice. And it's almost mind-blowing that a situation like that that could occur. And, I, I mean, as I kept watching it, I kept thinking, what are these cops doing? And don't they realize that there there's body cameras and there's all this stuff going? Why would you do it in the first place? And then why would you – when when they, they go up and they kick the one officer, kicks the guy in the face, I mean, why would you – do this. It's just, I mean, this was, I think, an example of some police officers acting in a rogue fashion. I think they, I clearly believe they deserve to be prosecuted. They have a presumption of innocence till they're proven guilty. But you, you look at this and it is an extremely troubling video. But, and I hate to use the cliche, but the cliche is, all right, does that justify throwing the baby out with the bath? Predictably, in response to this, the Memphis Police Department has now disbanded their street crime unit. They, they call it the Scorpion Unit. It stands for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. The unit is four 10-person teams focused on violent crime reduction in high-crime areas of the city. And this the unit's been in place for about a year and a half. It has been, these 40 officers, it has been highly effective in making arrests, in getting bad guys off the streets, in seizing guns, and in seizing drugs. So here you have the, these five police officers who acted in a criminal fashion. The response of the city is to say, okay, we're, we're going to do away with, essentially, I'm going to call it a gang squad, because that's what it was. We're going to do away with this effort to kind of mobilize police, have them go into the high-crime areas, and their mission is, okay, be aggressive, root out people who are committing crimes. Now, in the case of Tyree Nichols, I'm not arguing I'm not arguing that the police did their job. This was an example of excessive force. But does that justify doing away with in the street crime unit? Because my argument would be the street crime unit it shouldn't be done away with. Now, what you could arguably do, and what I think is fair is say, look, we, we've got to figure out maybe it's better training of the police. Maybe it's better monitoring of these police officers. Maybe it's better supervision. Maybe it's better recruitment efforts because, you know, obviously if you've got police officers that are willing to behave like at least a couple of those that I saw in the videotape, they don't belong on the force. But 
All those things being said, is this a justification for doing away with street crime units and not flooding high crime areas with cops and telling them to be aggressive? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. These cops deserve everything they have coming to them. But is that a reason to abandon the strategy, or is it simply a reason to say, okay, we, we need better supervision, we need better training, maybe we need better screening of the police officers that we put on this, but do you really want to just say, okay, we're, we're going to abandon this strategy? To me, that is a huge, huge mistake that lets down the people of the community who are the victims of the criminals. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620 that's the old national bank talk and text line on friday show I, I predicted this was going to happen and in my opinion it, it's completely the wrong result you have police officers in memphis who behaved in a fashion that i think excessive use of force I have no problem with the criminal charges that were brought against them. But that doesn't mean because you have police officers who go rogue, and I'll use that phrase, it it doesn't mean that the strategy that, in this case, the Memphis police were employing, that is, let's flood the high crime areas with police let, let's let's use what I'll call the broken windows theory. Little stuff, you know, amounts to big stuff. Let's try to stop the little stuff and, and let's be aggressive because you have this street crime unit, which has been by all objective measures extremely effective in getting felons off the street, in getting guns off the street, in getting dangerous people off the street and in making arrests. So you have a handful of cops who go rogue. They deserve to be accountable. But this idea that now, and this is what they did over the weekend, their reaction is, nope, 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 we're going to do away with the street crimes unit because we're going to do away with the Scorpion unit because, you know, we've got people who are, you know, uncomfortable with this. Well, okay, do better training. You obviously need better supervision, and because my guess is if the police officers did what they did in this situation, they've probably done it before. So, you know, you, you need better leadership, but that doesn't mean you abandon the strategy. Jeff, they should not abandon their Scorpion group. This reminds me of what Minneapolis did with their policing after George Floyd. How did this work out? And, yeah, it, it failed, you know, miserably. There, there's no question about it. Jeff, if the street crime unit was successful, it really doesn't make sense to discontinue it. Rather, if additional training is needed, then implement that. Right? See, that's what the response I, I think would be. Um, you need to stand up and you say, okay, how did this, you know, how did this end up happening and, and what do we need to do? The strategy is sound. In this particular case, you had a handful of police officers who nobody, I don't think, is going to defend their behavior. You have a handful of police officers who, again, used excessive force and deserve to be held accountable. But that doesn't mean the strategy is is a bad sort of thing. You know, and I think, I mean, it is, I think, fair for a lot of police officers. You've got to look at this. And, and my guess is, my guess is that 98, 99% of the police officers on the street look at this and they just shake their head and they are appalled by this behavior as well. So, yeah, this gives police officers a bad eye, but it's a handful of cops, just like the George Floyd situation was a handful of police officers. It doesn't mean the strategy's bad. It doesn't mean 
police officers in general are bad, and it doesn't mean we don't need lots of police officers patrolling the streets of high-crime areas to get the bad guys off the street. Because if they're not there, who's going to be victimized by the crime? Oh, yeah, the people who live in the area. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. My question is going to be, is this fair? Now, let me kind of back into this. Whenever you buy insurance for something, it, it's based on, on risk, If you own a place in Florida that has been the subject of hurricanes, whether the hurricanes have hit particularly your location or not, you're, you're going to pay more. Your home insurance is going to cost you more because, gosh, there's a chance it's happened before. There's a chance that a hurricane might come in, hit your place, and it might be devastating. So you will pay more. In some cases might be even impossible to get homeowner's insurance if you live in certain areas. So that's Florida, that's uh, North Carolina, for example, South Carolina, maybe along the Outer Banks, all those different types of things. It's because of the risk that is involved. If you're taking out life insurance, your availability and the pricing of life insurance is going to be based on a number of factors, including, right, let's say you want to take out a new policy. Well, a 25-year-old who's in perfect health is going to pay less than a 75-year-old who, let's say, has a series of health problems. That That's just the reality. That's how pricing is factored in. Which brings me to a story. Um, at least two major automotive insurers, State Farm and Progressive, are now refusing, in some circumstances, to protect certain Kia and Hyundai models because they lack anti-theft devices common in today's cars. So here's the deal. Both State Farm and Progressive have confirmed that they no longer write policies for some Kia and Hyundai models manufactured between 2015 and 2019. Um, The vehicle thefts for those for Kias made between 2015 and 2019 and Hyundai's were nearly twice as common as, for example, for most other cars. Um, There's reports out there that indicate, and we've talked about this before, Hyundai and Kia vehicles are being stolen because they lack these electronic mobilizers that can hinder a thief's ability to steal a car from just breaking into the car and bypassing the ignition. Okay, so that's that's the deal. You know, it makes it very, very difficult. You can't just hot wire the car without going into too much of the detail. Once immobilizers are added to the cars, vehicle thefts of Kia's and Hyundai's have absolutely plunged. Um, immobilizers were standard in ninety six starting in twenty fifteen, to give you a perspective, immobilizers were standard in ninety six percent of the cars made by other manufacturers for Kia and Hyundai they were standard in only 26% of vehicle models in 2015 so as a result Hyundai so State Farm and and Progressive are saying okay in some states 
some Kia and Hyundai model years and trim levels, and it kind of varies. But essentially, if your car doesn't have that immobilizer on it and it's made between 2015 and 2019, we're not writing the policy. You cannot get insurance from us because we believe that the cars are at too great a risk. Now, I don't know that this applies throughout an entire state. My guess is it probably applies in in different regions. I mean, if you are in an urban area, say Milwaukee, where, you know, these cars are just being stolen right and left, okay, maybe it's going to be different than if you are in a more rural area where car theft isn't as much of a problem. But the insurance companies are saying, look, here's the reality. We're looking at the type of car that's stolen. We're looking at the model of the car that's stolen. We know why that car is being stolen, so we're not going to write the policies. Kia and Hyundai vehicle thefts are up as much as 300% over the past two years in a couple cities. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. In some respects, when I read this story, this is victimizing the victim, right? You, you buy, you've got a 2016 Kia that fits this trim level, doesn't have the immobilizer. You're at risk of having the thing stolen by driving it and leaving it on the streets. So th- that's that's the risk you have. And now the insurance company is telling you there's just too great a risk that your car is going to be stolen. We're not going to write. We're not going to write the policy. My question is this: Is the insurance company's position unreasonable? Should people be mad and upset with the insurance company? Or perhaps should that anger be directed elsewhere? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. You get a notice from your insurance company, say, hey, you've got a 2016 Kia. It's this trim level. doesn't have one of those immobilizers on it. And we believe, given the area where you live, there's too great a risk that the car is going to be stolen, so we're not going to write the policy. Or if we're going to write the policy, you're going to have your auto rates go up, you know, 300%. Is that an unreasonable position for the insurance company to take? And should the car owner be mad at the insurance company? 855-616-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this and we'll discuss. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. So State Farm and Progressive are are now announcing that in some areas of the country, they are not even going to write car insurance policies on Kias and Hyundais uh, made between 2015 and 2019 with certain trim levels because they don't have these engine immobilizers or at least most of the cars don't have these engine immobilizers. We're pretty much standard on all other cars starting in 2015. And as a result, they're the ones that are getting stolen right and left. So the insurance company saying, look, we're we're not going to write these because there's too great a risk. Or if we do write the policy, you should expect to pay a ton more in auto insurance. Is the automobile company or is that is the insurance company who people should be mad at or should people be mad perhaps Elsewhere, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I think uh, they should, it should absolutely be directed elsewhere. Insurance companies manage risk, and if a risk is too great, they have the option to not insure. Um, obviously, this has been going on for some time. Then I thought, well, what about the car manufacturer? Well, those people paid a lesser price for those Kias. They're not 
you know, usually expensive cars or the Hyundais. So the only world else you can direct your anger at is the soft on crime attitude that some cities and municipalities have. Yeah, so be mad at you're saying be mad at the thieves, be mad at the, the communities who have allowed crime to get so out of control that you have all these car well, thefts that are out there. Yes, well, not necessarily the communities, but the uh, officials, government officials in those communities that are not prosecuting this or not uh, coming up with stiffer penalties. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for call, Mike. I appreciate. It. See, I here. Uh, I mean, here's how I look at this. I, the insurance companies in this case, and I, I look. I understand it's. Insurance companies make easy targets. I, I I get it because it's one of those things where you pay insurance companies money and you, you send these checks and you hope you never have to file a claim. And then you know when there is a claim, that the question is you know how well do they respond? I had a I and I mean I've never had big problems. I mean as a matter of fact I've insurance companies that I work with are incredibly responsive. I mean I told the story in the in Hurricane Ian we we had a car stored at our place in Florida and lost the it it got damaged with salt water and it, it could not the insurance company could not have been more fair in handling this. But I understand that that people you know you you they're they're easy to beat up on. But in this case to to me it's not their fault. I mean insurance companies like our last caller Mike was saying are, it really is all about managing risk. And if you've got a car which is particularly likely to be stolen in a certain area, it would be dumb to expect those insurance companies not to say, hey, you're going to have to pay a premium to insure it, or the risk is just so great that we're not going to write that policy. Now, who should you be mad at? Well, I think there's there's two entities. First of all, I, I agree. This is one where how do we let... How, how did we become escape from New York? How did we allow this type of criminal activity to become so rampant that now it's to the point where businesses don't even provide insurance for the cars because we can't control the car thefts? I mean, that's, that's I think, a fair conversation to have with any mayor of any city where that's happening and the police chief and the district attorney and the judges. How did we go so far down the rabbit hole that we allow this to happen? The other entity that I would be mad as heck at would, would be Kia and Hyundai. I, I mean, I think it is very, very fair for people to, if you, you bought one of these cars, this is a very, very fair saying, wait a second. You know, I, I didn't know when I purchased my 2016 Kia, I had no idea that it didn't have an engine immobilizer on it. That's not, I mean, I just, I bought a car, we take delivery hopefully at the end of the month or early March or something, uh, at the end of February, early March. I mean, I, I didn't say, does this have an engine immobilizer on it? That's not one of the questions that people ask. I get that. I mean, I, I fully understand that. So I, I think most people didn't understand that there was this, what I'm going to describe as a defect there. Now, it's not a defect in the sense that it's a manufacturing mistake, but rather it's something that allows the people who buy this to be to become victimized. So, I mean, I think you have every right, if you own one of these vehicles, you have every right to be outraged at Kia or Hyundai, which is one of the reasons why, I mean, I, I'm, I've been stunned all along that the manufacturer hasn't come up with 
some solution, whether it's there, there's these aftermarket immobilizers that you can put on, maybe a national recall, something like that, because I can easily understand where if, you know, confidence is a big thing in buying cars. And if I bought one of those cars that was now uninsurable effectively because it gets stolen so easy, I, I'd be I'd be looking at the manufacturer saying, what are you going to do to make this right? Because presumably the F, the, the resale value of my car, if, if nothing else, I've got a 2018 Kia that fits into this category, doesn't have a mobilizer. Good luck trying to sell that, at least trying to sell it for what you think it might otherwise be worth. So, I mean, I think it's fair to be angry at the car manufacturer. It's certainly fair to be angry at the city. Is it fair? to be angry at the insurance company um no i i don't think so jeff don't blame the car company they build cars at certain price range where people can afford to buy in those areas and you shouldn't expect it to have every bit of technology that the other cars do now see i i don't buy into that 96 percent of the cars made in 2015 96 percent if you take out Kias and Hyundais, had these immobilizers in it that the Kias did. Now, I don't know how much it costs to put an immobilizer in. I just don't think they cared or they didn't worry about it. But that doesn't make any difference. No. I, I mean, Kia could have avoided this, but it was also what I would describe as a hidden problem, right? It's a hidden problem because people People didn't know, in general, that they were buying a car without an immobilizer on it. Jeff, insurance companies aren't in the business to lose money. This should be a wake-up call, though, to the manufacturer that it's another reason not to buy their cars. I never understood why they can't come up with a foolproof way to prevent car theft. I, again, you can. There, there's aftermarket immobilizers. If I was Kia, that's what I'd, I'd be doing. I'm saying, hey, we're going to offer that. And I'm not talking about the club. We're talking about you know maybe hardwiring some of these aftermarket immobilizers if you live in one of these areas, so you at least protect your resale value a little bit. Jeff, I think it's perfectly fine for an insurance company to deny coverage to high-risk customers and what they want to insure. I would like my company to do that and hopefully perform the intelligent decision of weighing risk versus cost other than saving money. Hopefully that will result in lower premiums for me. Well, that that's true, see, because for the people, for like whether it's State Farm or Progressive, for every stolen car that they have to pay out, every stolen Kia that they have to pay out, well, that means other people are going to have to pay more for that. Jeff, there's not a right to insure your vehicle. They're running a, um, they're running a business. So I think there's the element of that. Jeff, insurance goes by chance and probability. Correct. What's the insurance supposed to do? I have a relatively safe car. Why should I have to pay mine more for my insurance? Go after the justice system. Go after the police. I agree entirely. And again, I, I think, see, this is one I don't know if it's a class action lawsuit brought by the owners, not brought by the city, but brought by the owners or whatever, if you want to allege that this is a defective product. But at the same time, the, the underlying problem is you've got these car thieves that are out there. I think from a PR perspective, I mean, it's a nightmare for Kias and Hyundais. And if I owned one that was in that age, that year bracket, um, I, I would say, hey, you know, you, you sold me you sold me a car that effectively is an invitation to steal, what are you going to do about it? It's fair, I think, to be upset with the manufacturer. It's certainly fair to be upset with crime in the community. The insurance company, sorry, just don't see it. Okay, I told you about this last week. I hope you would not let yourself be fooled again. 
there, I mean, I, I always take my hat off to like public relations people, which co- come up with these great marketing ideas that generate all sorts of free publicity, the publicity that otherwise they'd have to spend thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars sometimes to try to get these ideas out. And sometimes they come up with these ideas that get them free publicity. Um, I remember uh, there were about a year ago or so, IHOP announced that there was going to, the International House of Pancakes, they were going to change their name. They were going to be the IHOP, International House of Burgers. Well, okay, they, they announced this, and then it turns out it's a publicity stunt. They do it for a week, but they get all this free publicity and this attention. Last week, M&M's did the same thing. M&M's announced that, hey, they, they had broken the Internet, and there was all this controversy because they had redesigned a couple of the M&M's candies, the 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 cartoon candies, and they said, okay, this has become so controversial that we're going to retire the candies and we're going to use Maya Rudolph, formerly of Saturday Night Live. We're going to use her as, as, as she's going to be our spokesperson for the Super Bowl ads. Well, I mean, I was t- saying last week, this just it just screams of publicity stunt. It screams of let's get free attention, get everybody talking about how the M&M spokes candies are gone. Um, well, story in the New York Times the M&M's aren't done with us yet. Despite the announcement M&M's made last week that the company would be taking an indefinite pause from its spokes candies, the truth is they aren't going anywhere. So this was just, again, a stunt designed to create interest in the Super Bowl ads that they're going to be running. No fault about that. It's, it's great. They were able to get all this free publicity, but I, I sensed a publicity stunt last week and for everybody who got worked up about this that's exactly what it was m&m's deciding to let's get some free publicity here don't worry if you are a fan of the smokes uh, spokes candies they're not going anywhere that promo for you know brewers season tickets and i'm i'm a season ticket holder myself we spoke my my buddy and i have uh, we have a 20-pack, and we've had it for a number of years. I, I enjoy it. Optimistic about this year. But it, it did get me thinking, and it started, it's kind of how I started off the program today. Look, I understand lots of snow, cold weather. I get it. But we're, we're already essentially through January. February is a short month, moves into March. You can get some bad weather in March, but it typically you, you don't get the, the really, really bitter cold. And if you do, it doesn't stay around for that long. So we're, we're kind of – there's sort of light at the end of the tunnel, and that light might be a warm sun. Um, Brewers, pitchers, and catchers report in a little over two weeks. February 16th is when Brewers and pitchers and catchers are supposed to report, and uh, the rest of the team, February 21st. So spring baseball is on the horizon, and that means... Okay, if spring training games are on the horizon, that means the regular season is on the horizon, and that means summer can't be too far behind, right? Okay, let us let us switch gears. I, I made a brief reference to this at the end of last week. The um, Marquette University Law School poll, and you, and you can decide for yourself whether you believe polls or not, but they, they came out with a poll last week where they asked Republicans in Wisconsin a couple real telling questions. First of all, they said, if you had a choice between voting for Donald Trump or voting for Ron DeSantis for president. Who who would you vote for? And the numbers came back. I was a little bit surprised, not so much at the result, but surprised at, at the, the, the number of people. 64% of Republicans and right-leaning voters favored DeSantis. 
36% back Trump. Okay, so DeSantis is just slaughtering Trump in the poll. In addition, they went on that next step, and they asked, again, Republican voters, they said, do you even want to see Donald Trump run for president? And it was about 50-50. 52% said yes, 48% said no. But that means half of the Republican voters don't even want to see him run. Now, I bring this up because since Trump announced a couple months ago that he was running for president, there's really, you kind of had that disastrous you know, speech that he gave where people were just trying to get out because they were bored by it. It was meandering. It was rambling. Since then, there's been almost no semblance of a campaign at all. No big rallies, nothing like that, which kind of suggests to me that his heart really isn't into this. But last weekend, um, he, he decided, OK, I've got to kind of go out on the campaign trail. Two of the early primaries, of course, are New Hampshire and South Carolina. So Trump goes to New Hampshire to talk to I mean, party officials. And uh, apparently, well, it was it was underwhelming at at best. Um, you got kind of like lukewarm support, nowhere near the, hey, let's go crazy sort of stuff that you had years and years ago. And then he goes to, well, I mean, the way the Washington Post describes it is in New Hampshire, he delivered meandering remarks at a meeting of the state GOP where some party delegates said that they liked how he governed, they would prefer a new face in 2024, and outside the auditorium, um, lots of support going to Ron DeSantis. So then he goes into down to South Carolina, same day, and gives a, a speech which apparently, again, does very, very little to mobilize the, the, the base. Matter of fact, many of his supporters are saying, well, we, we think that, candidly, he's um, kind of maybe you know, lost lost a step here and that more and more Republican voters are going to and are willing to move on. And more and more Republican voters are coming to the conclusion that regardless of how you felt about Trump as a president, regardless of that, that the country has moved on and that if you want to see a Republican elected in 2024, it's got to be anybody but Donald Trump. It could be Ron DeSantis. It could be Nikki Haley. It could be Tim Scott. It could be, you know, fill in fill in the blank. But that Trump is just not electable moving forward. And more and more Republican voters are starting to see that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. The, the Trump campaign thus far certainly has... None of the magic that the 2016 campaign had. And you do kind of get the sense that Donald Trump is sort of going through the motions. So my question is this. Has the Trump campaign and has Donald Trump jumped the shark from the perspective of being a viable national candidate? Now, I understand there's all sorts of issues. You know, would, would Trump ever go away you know, is he prepared to like burn down the Republican Party if he doesn't get the nomination? I understand there's all those things. But my question is, has he jumped the shark and are you prepared to move on? And I bring this up because over the last week I've had conversations with multiple people who I would describe as as Republican activists, people who are the ones that write the checks 
people who are the ones that put together the activities and the events that people who write the checks um, go to, people who, you know, work in, in the fields, you know, the people who are responsible for making the phone calls and things like that. And to a person, the general reaction I get is time for Trump to move on. So is it time for Trump to move on to whatever that might be? Do you want to see him just drop out of the race and concentrate on whatever he wants to do and then try to see who is going to be the standard bearer of the republic in the future? I I thought Nikki Haley was interesting over the weekend. She made the point that you don't have to be 80 years old to govern which was a not-too-veiled shot at both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. 855-616-1620. Has Trump jumped the shark? Is it time to move on? We discuss in a moment. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold out right now, but soon, I promise, it's going to be warming up and you'll need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank. And this week, we're brought to you by the superheroes at Current Electric, who I want to welcome as a sponsor to the program. To schedule a visit with Current Electric, you can call them at 262-786-5885. Or go to callcurrent.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. All right, so I think it would be fair to say that the rollout of the Trump 2024 presidential campaign has sort of gone over like that lead balloon. He, he had this, this announcement that, well, even Fox News cut away after 20 minutes because it was just so rambling. People in the crowd at Mar-a-Lago were trying to leave, but they were locked in. There's been really not much of a campaign since then, not a lot of fundraising going on, none of the big events. He shows up um, on Saturday in New Hampshire and South Carolina, and it gets a a humbling, so-so reaction at best. Um, In New Hampshire, polls show he's trailing Ron DeSantis already big time. South Carolina... Of course, you know, if Nikki Haley runs, she's the former governor of South Carolina, and she would probably win that primary. But the bottom line of all this is, I think for most Republicans, regardless of what you think about President Trump, regardless of whether you voted for him in 2016 or 2020, I think most people have moved on. He might not have, but I think most people have. Has Donald Trump jumped the shark? Jeff, it was time for Trump to go away on January 20th of 2021. Um, Let's see. Jeff, yes, 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 yes. Do you believe that Trump really thinks he has a shot at president in the next election, or do you believe he knows he won't win and has a hidden agenda to do something when he loses? What I think is going to happen, and I know there's people out there who disagree with me, I I don't think Trump is even going to be around for the primaries because I think, look, at the end of the day, you've got the ego, you've got the narcissism, etc., but he he can read polls as well as anybody, and and I think think that we're at a high watermark. I think he's got nowhere to go but down. I think more and more people are coming to the conclusion that Donald Trump is the past, that he's not the future, and so I think you're going to see that play out as the polling goes on. I think that from a fundraising perspective, he's already, I mean, big donors who wrote him checks before, they're not writing him checks again. They have they have moved on. Uh, Trump has got other issues as well, whether it's the investigations. I think what's ultimately going to happen is Trump will find some, he's going to be searching for some 
face-saving way to get out of the race. And I, I don't know what that's going to be, whether it's a health concern or whether it's his family doesn't want him to run again and he doesn't want to put his family through that or whether it's I'm the subject of all these unfair investigations and I need to concentrate on them. I don't know what it's going to be, but I firmly believe that he's he's not going to go into New Hampshire and get crushed, allow himself to go into New Hampshire and get crushed or allow himself to go to South Carolina and get crushed. I just don't think... I don't think his narcissism would allow him to do that, and I believe that once he becomes convinced that that's exactly what's going to happen, I, I think he's going to be looking for a, a way out. Um, Jeff, I voted for Biden in, 20, in 2008. I voted for Trump in 16 and 20. I want them both to you know, go away. Um, no question about it. Jeff. How do you spell boat anchor? <laughs> Jeff, definitely time for Trump to move on. Jeff, I was a huge Trump supporter, and I'm a huge Republican, but the reality is he's simply not electable. Yeah, that was the conversation that I've, I've been having, uh, again, with, with people, with activists on, on all different levels, whether it's grassroots activists or organizers or the people that write the checks. And you, you can have a debate about... Okay, you know, he's a great president. Was he a good president? You know, you can have a debate about his responsibility for January 6th and his responsibility for some of the losses in, you know, last year's election by, you know, picking candidates who decided that they were going to focus on the election was stolen in 2020. You can have all that debate. But regardless of, of where you come down on that, I think more and more people are simply coming to the conclusion that the American people have worn, have, have moved on. And with the possible exception of Joe Biden, who very, very much wants to see Donald Trump win, be, run because he thinks he can beat Trump, um, I think everybody else, you know, Joe Biden doesn't want to run against anybody other than Donald Trump because I think Joe Biden at this stage probably loses and maybe loses big time to anybody other than anybody other than Trump. And so I, I think at some point in time, Donald Trump's got to come to that conclusion, but you're already starting to see this, that the magic, whatever magic there was in 2016, the grand entrance down the giant staircase, the, the fact that you have this huge grassroots support that you're bringing all sorts of people in, that's, it's, that's yesterday, that's 2016, and in 2024, I think people have moved on. What's unfortunate is, in the case of Donald Trump, he hasn't come to that conclusion yet, he hasn't learned that lesson, he will at some point in time, I'm confident. And I think the underwhelming performances this weekend in New Hampshire and in South Carolina, the Wisconsin poll last week, all those are indications that Republicans have moved on. It just doesn't get any worse than this. Friday night, 1135 at night, car crash occurred um, in the 4200 block of North 35th Street, about 11.35 p.m., a one-year-old was killed in a hit-and-run. 31-year-old female driver was in the car. Uh, they smash into a Dodge Caravan. This, it's almost unbelievable, is the story. So here's the deal. This is the way it's being reported. The one-year-old boy who was killed in a car crash Friday was in the back seat of a car, stolen shortly beforehand. The boy, 13 months old, had been waiting in the car after his mother left the vehicle unlocked while she ran into her home late Friday night on Milwaukee's northwest side. 
The child was strapped into the car seat, but it was not secured to the vehicle. The report said it's not exactly clear how the crash unfolded, but the report noted the driver of the car may have been speeding when she crashed into another vehicle about two miles from where the car was stolen. So mom leaves the kid in the back seat of the car. Woman comes along, steals the car, speeding away. Kid is in the back seat, unsecured, smashes into a Dodge Caravan. The child, um, the car seat was found upside down on the floor of the vehicle. Car is dead. The, dri- the child is dead. The driver of the stolen vehicle, 31-year-old woman, who is hospitalized and arrested, do you think? The other vehicle, the vehicle that's hit, the Dodge Caravan, um, the driver and the passengers flee the scene on foot. So they... They run away after that. Um, let's see. The other, of course, the other reports are the, the woman who presumably stole the car, no driver's license. I mean, no surprise or suspended driver's license or nothing like or and something like that. But I mean, again, it's I would describe it as the wild, wild west. But that is an insult to the wild, wild west. If these allegations are correct, you've got a woman who leaves the car for a moment to run in. Okay, police say you're not supposed to do that. She leaves the kid in the back seat. In a few moments, and she's in the house, somebody comes along, steals the car, goes speeding away. I don't know if they knew that the kid was in the car or not, but the cars, the child's in the back seat. The cars, the, it's not, it's not secured. The car seat. She plows into another car. Child is killed. And the occupants of the other car that's hit, they all run away. So God knows what they were doing as well. It's just another night on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee. You you, you can't leave your car unattended for a moment or else it's going to get stolen. You certainly can't leave a child in there. And when you're involved in a collision, again, who, who knows the car that got hit, the caravan, who knows what they had going on because all of those people run as well. It's just... It's just a situation where nobody is willing to take responsibility for everything. If it's not escape from New York, it's pretty darn close. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us on a chilly Monday. Again, I'm trying to be Susie Mary Sunshine here. We're almost through January. February is a short month. Pitchers and catchers report middle of February, and then you've got March. And it can be cold stuff in March, but the daylight hours are increasing. We're moving towards spring, which means we're moving towards summer. So be of good cheer. Um, I, we're, maybe we'll talk about it more tomorrow. I just this story and that Connie was talking about about the the one year old child. It's just I, I, if you haven't seen it and want more links, I, I've got a link to it. I just sent out a tweet on this, um, but it really is escape from New York. Um, Friday night, a mom leaves her car briefly unattended at a gas station while while she runs in. I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what was happening. Maybe it's one of those you know you got to pay ahead, so you get a credit card, so she runs in to pay ten dollars or whatever. The child, the one-year-old, 13-month-old, is in the back seat in a car seat, but the car seat secured the car seat, but the car seat's not secured to the car, which kind of defeats the purpose. But she runs in, 
some 31-year-old woman comes along and steals the car in the moments that the woman is in the gas station. I don't know if she knows the kids in the back seat or not. Speeds away, doesn't get very far, I think runs through a red light and slams into a, a van. And all the passengers in the van then flee. My, my guess is... I don't know for sure, but my guess is the van was probably stolen, which, again, is this this idea of irony. You've got the woman driving the stolen car who smashes into the stolen van. But, of course, the, the, the real tragedy, the ultimate tragedy of this is that the baby, the child, is killed in, in the collision. Now the 31-year-old is in prison, is in jail, and presumably will be in prison for most of the rest of her life. But it doesn't bring the child back. And it's just, it, it really is um, escape from New York on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And I just keep waiting for somebody to wake up and say it's time to start doing something about this instead of story after story after story. Maybe we'll talk about this with more details on tomorrow's show, but I want to lighten it up for this hour of the program. One of the things that Americans like is we like to go out to eat. Now, my my wife, for example, my wife is an outstanding cook. And so she cooks at home a lot. But we, we still, she's a restaurant girl. That was her business, you know. And so we, we still like to go out to eat. And we go out to eat a couple times a week. And we have our, our favorite restaurants. One of the things that happened during COVID was the fact that a lot of restaurants closed down to um, sit-down service. The, the, the dining, you know, in the restaurant, that, that service ended. But people still like to go out. So what kept a lot of restaurants afloat during during COVID was the fact that they, they had takeout stuff. And it's interesting because at a couple of the restaurants that we patronize a lot, the takeout continues to be strong even though the sit-down dining has resumed. And by the way, I'm I and for this conversation, I, I'm not necessarily talking about the, the fast food places, you know, where, hey, the choice is, do you go into McDonald's and eat your Big Mac or do you, you pick it up through the drive through But I'm talking about, you know, your what would be the traditional sort of sit-down restaurants. Well, what kept, like I say, a lot of sit-down restaurants, including patrons, places that we patronize going, what was the takeout. And now that the sit-down restaurant part is open again, I'm just, I am amazed. For example, one place that we go to, they had a number of spots reserved in the parking lot during COVID where you could just, you know, pull up and you could call the number and they'd bring out your food. They still have those parking spaces reserved. And I will tell you, you know, when we'll go out, we go into the restaurant and sit down. A lot of times those parking um, spots are, are, are full. And the takeout business continues to boom. I was thinking about this because there's a story in the Wall Street Journal today. Americans are gobbling up takeout food. Restaurants bet that that won't change. Let me just read a portion of it to you. Um, McDonald's has a new restaurant outside of Fort Worth, Texas, with no tables or seats for customers and a conveyor belt that routes food to drivers who order ahead. Chipotle Mexican Grill also offers no place for customers to sit inside an Ohio restaurant that only takes digital orders. Taco Bell is evaluating a new design that features four drive through lanes, double the typical two. America's biggest restaurant companies made a bet during the pandemic that you would rather eat the food cooked on their premises somewhere else. Now they're gambling. You will want to do so for years to come. And then it goes on. But again, it's not just the big restaurant chains. Demand for takeout is still strong, even after dropping from peaks reached during the first year of the pandemic. 
all of all orders placed at U.S. fast food restaurants in 2022, 85% were taken to go. That's down from a high of 90% during 2020, but up from roughly 75% in the years leading up to the pandemic. Here's where it gets really interesting. Among full-service restaurants, 33% of orders were to go in 2022, nearly double pandemic rates. Let me let me go back on that for a second. So last year, full-service restaurants, they say that about a third of the customers ordered the ta- ordered their food to go and that's that's up from that's up like that's double so maybe before the pandemic it would have been 16% now it's up to 33% and um a lot of these sit down restaurants are predicting that this this trend is going to be continuing and more and more people are just going to want to get their food, and go without sitting in the restaurants, which makes it an interesting dynamic for the future because what does this mean for the bartenders and what does it mean for the servers and what does it mean for the restaurant locations themselves? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, think about yourself. Are you more inclined now than you were before the pandemic to get food to take out and bring it home or wherever you're going to eat it? Now, I admit, I still like going to restaurants. And as a general rule, I just, I'd, I'd rather have the food brought directly to me than have to go pick it up and, and get it home. Because in general, I find that especially at sit-down dining places, the food doesn't necessarily travel that well. But I understand the convenience. So let's tee this up. I'm still going to be going to restaurants. I like the experience. I like sitting down with friends and things like that at the table. But but more and more people are simply saying, hey, we, we want to eat out, but we want to pick it up, and then we want to go somewhere with it. 855-616-1620. Is this the new trend? Take out, and is it going to continue to increase? And what does this mean for sit-down dining moving forward? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I, I think this is kind of pretty stunning. That okay during during the pandemic, both at fast food restaurants and at what we're calling our traditional sit down restaurants, there there was an explosion of of takeout. I mean that's the restaurants you couldn't go in, but people still wanted somebody else cooking for them, etc. But now that the pandemic is over. You're, you're seeing the, these numbers are, are holding up. I mean, the estimates are that for sit-down dining establishments, about 33% of the orders last year across the board, and that's going to vary, I understand, from restaurant to restaurant, but about one-third were takeout, which is up from about 16% before the pandemic. 855-616-1620, is this, is this the trend um jeff on behalf of restaurant owners servers and bartenders thank you for enjoying full service dining mr wagner i i still i mean again i i just don't think take for me 
I don't think takeout food travels as well. And have have I gotten food for takeout from time to time? Sure. But even if my, I'm on my own, I'm much more likely to go in and, for example, sit at the bar and order a fish fry or something and eat that and, and then go home than I am to order it to go, drive it to my house. I just think it's it's better. Um, let's see, Jeff, I do take out uh, during the week and dine in on weekend days when I have more time to enjoy the experience. That's just me. Um, let's see, Jeff, I think we all like you want to go out to eat and be served, but between inflation and paying our now outrageous we energies bill, the math just doesn't work out anymore. Um, 855-616-1620, Gianni in Montello. Gianni, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen, I have noticed this trend here in the last six months as well. Um, People aren't sitting down uh, like they maybe did, uh, you know, before COVID and they're, they're going with takeout. And I I think it's a, um, it's, it's a matter of convenience. And I think additionally people, you know, more people are working now and it, uh, you know, people want to, they don't have time to, to, you know, fix breakfast, lunch, or dinner and they're in and out. And it's just a convenient way of, um, you know, Hmm. having, having your, um, your, your eats, you know, but there there is a trend. I, I, I noticed that. Thanks for the call, Gianni. And I guess I, I mean I want to I want to make a distinction. The difference I, I don't eat that much fast food anymore. But if I was, I, I mean I, I, but I guess I'm distinguishing. I'm trying to make the distinction between what I would say is the traditional you know go in dining establishments, the supper clubs and things like that, versus you know KFC or Taco Bell or, or McDonald's or Arby's. I mean those things, th- those places. I mean I when I have them, and it's very rare if my wife is listening and my doctor is listening. It's very rare. But, I mean, I go through the drive through window and get it in that take. But I'm I'm talking about more of the traditional dine-in establishments. And I guess, to me, it, it's just it's not for me. Jeff, I take out once in a while, too, but I do think it's the new normal. I agree with you. Takeout does seem busier to to me. Um, yeah. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi Jeff. Um, so Hi. since I'm single and I'm one of and I'm one of the few people in my friend in my age group and friends that are mar- that are single, I often do get carry out from restaurants. Um, there's two full service restaurants in my neighborhood that I that I get get it from on a semi regular basis, and I am noticing more carry out orders like spread across um, like different tables and stuff yeah. like that when I come in to pick up mine. And um, I also um, have gotten kind of fixated on my my TV tray and to come back and just kind of do dinner and a movie and just kind of relax and not have to worry about dressing up and going through all those motions. So is is it part of it, too, that you really you you don't like to necessarily eat alone? So you'd rather just get it, get back to your apartment and kind of put on the TV or whatever. Is that one of the driving factors? Honestly, yeah, it probably is because I it, it, there sometimes you know you do kind of feel a little little weird, but uh-huh. um, you know my dad always always said you know when you're when you're alone you're in good company. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Jeff. I I might write that down. Now, I mean, I'm not in that situation, but I, I mean, I will say on those on those rare occasions when my wife is out of town without me or something like that. I mean, I I'm. 
I guess I, I even to that day, I'm still more inclined to. I don't mind going in and I might not get a table, but I might sit at the bar and have a beer and like order order something and then eat it at the bar and stuff. Because I always I'm always able to find people to talk to and and things like that, and it's it's always sort of fun. But I mean, I do appreciate the convenience that's out there, Jeff. Restaurants like Olive Garden are promoting takeout orders by having designated spots for orders to go. Um, yeah, well, clearly they are responding to what is, is, is demand. It's supply and demand. Jeff, most food isn't very good by the time you get it home. It's cold. It's soggy. I think it's much better at the restaurant. I would, I would agree. Um, and, and again, I'm I, I, talking about like the, the sit down thing. If, okay, it's Friday night, my wife's out of town. I want to get, I want to get a fish fry. I could call up the place I go for fish fries and I could order it to go and it takes me, I pick it up and it takes me like 10 minutes to get it home and then unpack it and things like that. Or I can go in, I can sit at the bar, I can order it and they bring it to me piping hot. I'd rather, I'd rather have it that way. Jeff, I don't like carry out or delivery foods. It's just not the same as eating in. No, it's, it's not. But clearly, you know, this is the trend that is um, out there. Jeff, the McDonald's near the airport in Green Bay has never reopened for dine-in. We get takeout for things that travel well, like pasta and Chinese food. I would never order steak for carryout. Is there no there because there's just absolutely no way that that can travel very well? Well, I think there's kind of an element to that, but I'm just saying that's that is the future. Of this, um, Jeff, I think people like it because, well, you don't have to tip, or if so, you can tip little. You can drink your own drinks at home, and if they have kids, it's easier as well. Most of the restaurants rely on appetizers, drinks, and desserts to make a profit. The dinners always are not profitable in most cases. Well, that is an interesting dynamic, and, and that's one of the things I'm sure restaurants are trying to grapple with because, you know, uh, if you think about, again, your typical dine-in establishment, your supper club or whatever, I mean, a portion of that revenue is definitely going to come on, you know, people going and, and having a drink. They make a lot of money from the bar and stuff like that, and you're not getting that in the takeout. That, that's, I think, sort of the, the new dynamic that's there. The carryout sustains the businesses, but can you grow the business with the carryout? How do you work it out? But it is it is the future. And just notice this. I mean, think about, again, the sit-down restaurants you go to, just like our caller, Jeff. I wouldn't be surprised you walk into some of these places and you see, like, carry-out orders stacked all around. It's because more and more people are doing this. They got used to it during the pandemic, and they're continuing it moving forward. However, the pandemic brought me a significant increase of income. I thought that that would decrease since the pandemic is pretty much over, over, but the truth is pretty much nothing has changed. So um, America has fallen in love with takeout and apparently is continuing that trend. What it means for restaurants moving forward is going to be something that's interesting to watch. Right, this is a topic that we, we, we talked about briefly a month or two ago, and it's, it's sort of near and dear to my heart. And it has to do with the future, future of, of AM radio. Now, there have been people, I don't know, going back to just at the start of television. People predicted, oh, once people get televisions, that's going to you know, kill radio. And it hasn't. And, you know, radio has gone through a number of different sort of reinventions o- over the years. There are people who think that uh, now that you've got all the, the streaming services and things like that, and that people are, are listening to music on things like Pandora and Spotify, that that, that 
that is going to kill music radio, and, and yet music radio continues to thrive. And spoken word radio, what I do, well, I mean, spoken word radio has remained relevant and has actually gone through a renaissance over the course of the last you know, several decades. But there's something interesting that is going on moving forward. Car makers are starting to come, or at least they're, they're coming to the conclusion that, that people – People are interested in AM radio. Several European car makers, including Audi, BMW, Porsche, Volkswagen, and Volvo, they've stopped putting AM radios in certain models of their cars. Some of the electronic vehicles, the EVs, they they say that they have electrical systems that interfere with AM audio. So rather than moving a couple parts around or shielding the equipment better, these EV, the electric vehicle manufacturers, are, are just cutting out AM radios. So if you want to buy an electric vehicle, okay, it's not going to have an AM radio in it. Now, in America, well, um, in, in America, well, most of the companies are taking a sort of different approach. Tesla has eliminated AM radios. Ford plans to drop AM from its electric pickup trucks, but but that's what they're doing. Now, the numbers are, though, that 47 million Americans still listen to programming on the AM dial. So um, that's, you know, that that's a big factor. Now, it is also true that more and more people listen to us via streaming. So, you know, even if you're in your car, theoretically, you know, you could listen to, you could listen to like WTMJ, even if you didn't have an AM radio, you could listen to it via streaming and things like that. But, but this attitude that at least some car makers are having is that, okay, AM radio, that there's not that much interest and we can pull these things out of cars without having any sort of significant repercussions from the, the customers it's it's kind of like what's happened with cds remember there used to be i i was listening to I was listening to a band the other day a couple of weeks ago and at the end they say hey, we've got cds for sale and i was actually thinking of buying a cd except honest to goodness i don't have a cd player i, I used to always have cd players in the car i i don't have I, I don't have a cd player in my car anymore i don't i don't have a cd player at home anymore i i don't i don't have um i guess i mean i've got some of the, the computers that you've got the the add-on that you could play it but that's a lot of that's a lot of work that's just I, I don't listen to music on cds anymore and the truth of the matter is i don't i guess i i don't miss not having a cd player in the car but a few years ago Hey, this is one. I mean, I'm back and forth. I would drive around. I'd have 10, 15 CDs that were in the glove compartment of the car. And and now the truth is I, I really don't miss them. I have all sorts of other ways that I can get, you know, pretty much, you know, anything I want, whether it's Bluetooth and hook it up through my phone and run it through my iTunes account or, you know, whatever, whether it's the Pandora or the Spotify or, or you name it, you've got access to all these, this mu- these music sources that are out there. But at the same time, spoken word radio, um, difficult to replace. So let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank Talk and Tech line if am radio were to disappear from cars would you would you miss it 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line like i say the numbers say about 47 million people 
still um, listen to programming on the AM dial. Look, I, I understand that maybe I'm biased in this regard, but I don't think Americans are ready to give it up, and I don't think they're ready to give up the convenience of AM radio, particularly spoken word radio, that comes to them in their cars. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Again, I, I acknowledge that I'm, I'm biased with this, but I'm just such a huge fan of AM radio and, and spoken word radio in, in general. There's, I mean, maybe if you're a certain generation, can you remember like, you know, you, you got that old transistor radio and, and you're able to hear your, it, it's at night and you're able to hear these signals. My gosh, I've got some station out of Cincinnati that, that's coming in or, or whatever. It, it's that, that cool sort of stuff. And it's still what I love about radio too. It's kind of like the theater of, of the mind. And I understand that as we move into the 21st century, there's more like cameras in the studio and showing people what they look at. I still think there's just th- this beauty of, okay, let's, let's try to picture what the voice on the radio and what, it, what does he look like and what is he wearing? And you know what that, I just think that's just such a, a very, very cool thing. 855-616-1620. But we're talking about now is uh, the, the manufacturers of electric vehicles have pretty much said we're not going to put AM radios in these vehicles because, well, the, the the EV motor creates static. Now, you could work around that, and it would probably cost you about 25 cents to do it, but I don't think that they're coming to the conclusion that there's not that much interest moving forward in AM radio. I think they're, I think they're very, very wrong. Let's talk to uh, – let's start with Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Tom. I like AM radio because I can listen to Steve Scafidi, Jeff Wagner, and John McCure. <laughs> and well, that, uh, my day wouldn't be good. Well, I thank John. Thanks, uh, Tom. Thanks a lot for the call. And we, we, we all, speaking on behalf of McCure and Scafidi and myself, we appreciate that you're, you're listening. But I, I do think, you know, one of the things, I, I think the, the ability to listen in cars is just you know so key when i look back on on the years that i have been doing this i mean one of the you know one of the big developments in in talk radio first it was it was car phones because there were always people listening but now you know people were out and about in their cars and they could actually they, they could call you and then the cell phones became ubiquitous and now you have the internet so i mean we have listeners that are all over the world it is true that um you you can stream us i mean whenever I am out of state. You know, there's it's it's not too hard. You can you you, you through your phone, you can end up, you know, listening through our, our WTMJ app. So you, you can hear us anywhere you want, but it's still it is that kind of extra step. I just I don't think people are ready to give up AM radio and I maybe I'm maybe I'm naive here. Uh let's talk to um John in Kenosha. John, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking the call. Um, you know, sure. I thought I would feel the same way. I have a Tesla, and you know, I was actually irritated. There's no radio whatsoever in this car. Everything streams. But one of the things I really like about streaming is um, when you guys turn your power down when the sun sets. Right. Um, I get you loud and clear no matter where I am. You know, whether I'm in Florida or, or, or Milwaukee. And right. So, so you're listening to us on the app. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I'm listening on the app. Well, no, I'm listening. It, it's built into the car, so it's on the app, but it's right. it's, it's built into the car instead of an AM right. radio. Right. No, thanks for call, John. And that's clearly, I, I think, for for the vehicles, that's that, there's going to be, I think, a little bit of a learning curve. Um, 
Okay, uh, Jeff, I made I think it's a lot of, before we go back to the call. It's a lot of interesting text. I made a transistor radio and electronics class in high school seventy. Got WLS from Chicago in Mississippi at my grandma's house. Yeah, that's that's the the cool thing, Jeff. I'm not buying a Tesla because I love my AM radio. I would not buy a car without it, Jeff. It's a good thing the TMJ is also on FM one hundred three point three. We are the problem with FM signals though is they don't. They don't have anywhere near the reach of AM. That's the, and that's, that's the cool thing. I mean, it's always amazing. People will say, well, you know, I was listening to you while I was, as I was driving, and where, where are you? Well, we were in Indiana, and you could still get the AM signal. Or we were, you know, up, you know, we were up in Seymour, Wisconsin, and we were listening to the AM signal. I said, well, you know, you, know, you could stream it. Yeah, but we like to have it over AM. Jeff, I would miss having AM radio. It's mainly what I listen to when I'm driving. It's more of a hassle streaming it from my phone. Jeff, um, I would totally miss it. Already can't stream the radio cast of sports games, but I can listen on the old-fashioned dial radio. Um, yeah, the generation, this generation snubs out so much only to find out later that particular items methods were so much better than the new alternative. Um, Jeff, I'd miss the accessibility, although you're right, there are streaming options. Jeff, I would definitely miss AM radio. I drive for a living doing Grubhub. Talk radio keeps me company. I would also miss all the WTMJ shows. Well, we would miss you as well. Thank you. Um, let's see. Jeff, I just pulled up the most recent uh, reading book for um, Milwaukee, the metro area. Um, if it wasn't for news talk, AM radio would be going nowhere. No, there, there's no question. In our, in our market, we are one of the most vital markets for talk radio in the entire country um, between us and, you know, the other station up the dial. And, you know, it, it, it might vary you know, like month to month, but it is incredibly how, incredible how vital th- this is. And, 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 and you see that. I mean, I, my show has certainly been the beneficiary of that as I find out you get, oh, we've won this national award or that national award. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, it's very rewarding, and there's a lot of interesting. Jeff, um, I have the option of listening to your show on AM or FM. I'm 100% listening on AM every weekday. Um, Jeff, I'm driving to you in Iowa. I'm listening to you on my AM radio. Um, yeah, that's um, – there, there's no question. It, it, the, the breath is just amazing. Um, let's see. Well, I see, I just think – and the reason I brought this up is this is this is kind of the trend, but I, I, I don't think AM radio, and again, I'm biased with this. I, I freely acknowledge this is what I do for a living. It's what I've done for a living for like 25 years, and I have a, a passion about this spoken word radio. It's not going anywhere, but I don't think the AM dial is going anywhere either. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I'd be lost without 620 AM radio. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, it would make the 40-minute commute a lot more boring. I really appreciate AM radio, and we appreciate you. Kathy says, OMG, it's all I listen to. I'd be very upset if it wasn't available in my car. Jeff, say it isn't so. I listen to you every day on the AM dial from Crandon, Wisconsin, way up north. See, that is that is the thing. The FM is the alternative. The FM stations, there's not an FM station in Milwaukee that's that's up in Crandon, Wisconsin, the land of the Hodags, no doubt about it. Um, Gene in Madison. Gene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, such as I was telling you, screener, my wife and I buy two new Chevrolet vehicles every year and have done that for the past 14 years. And 
We've been fortunate enough, of course, to pay for the very first, the first two, uh, completely in one year. And after that, you're just, you're just trading for, you know, the, the money to boot all the time. So, which isn't that much, but we're, we've graduated for the last two years now to Chevrolet High Country. She has a Chevrolet Tahoe High Country, which mm-hmm. commands 85000 now. And I have a Chevrolet Silverado that is a high country, which is 74000 So right. that's, you know, that's paying Chevrolet a little bit. And if they ever chose to eliminate the uh, AM radio, uh, it would be very difficult for me to, to buy another Chevrolet. I, I'm a Chevrolet person. I would probably keep right. my last new ones, but... Right. I would be very upset, and we miss we miss the CD player. She misses it probably more than me, but uh, right. that's the other right. thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't no, think I do. Chevrolet really realizes that it's not all young people that are buying eighty thousand dollar vehicles all the time. Well, yeah, Gene. And, uh, first of all, absolutely, Gene. Thank you. Option. Right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, to, I'm kind of up against the clock. Um, because we got to pay the bills. But first of all, thank you for listening and, and thank you for supporting Amory. Well, well, it is it is true. And by, by the way, and it's not just just young people. I mean, it's not just older people. I, I we have a wide demographic, a wide range, and people who, who think that the only people that are listening to spoken word radio are people like over sixty or over fifty or over forty. Oh, contraire. I, I, I mean, I see the numbers every, every month, and that's just. That's just not the case. Look, I understand technology changes and technology comes in and, and okay, so maybe, you know, you used to have the cassette player and then you had and the 8-track player and then you had the CD and now you've got the streaming services and things like that and it replaces it. I don't think technologically we're there yet with AM radio. And I, I think some of these car companies that think that people might not care about it, I think they are in for a very, very rude awakening. I guarantee you, you're always going to be able to find us. We will be around. We're not going anywhere.